0: Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church and make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. I want to speak to you a little bit about something that we've been talking these days. How many of you guys were here two weeks ago When we spoke about times and seasons, raise your hand, times and seasons, and we went to the book of Ecclesiastes, and I want you to go back there, because we're going to read a little bit again, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, this time we're going to read from verse 1, and then we're going to skip to verse 8, it says, for everything, there is a season, everybody say, for everything, there is a season, this crazy season that you're in, it's a season, there's a season of craziness in everyone's life, right? A time for every activity under heaven. Verse 8, a time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. So let me get those babies. I came prepared today, church. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to let you know that we're in a season of war. We're in a season where it's time to fight. I want you to look somebody straight into their eyes and tell them, look, I know you're all cool and I know you're all loving, you got the love of Jesus inside of you, but it is time to fight. But I'm going to take these off because the type of fight that we're in is not a fight that you fight with boxing gloves. The type of fight that we're in is not even a physical fight. And as we go on with what I'm going to be sharing with today, I'm going to be reading a lot of stats and stuff, but it's important that you understand because we're living times where we need to stand up and fight. Uh, It's a a time to fight for those who cannot fight, if you may. Uh, And I know this topic that we're going to talk about today is a very sensitive topic. It may stir up different kinds of emotions inside of different people, But all I ask is that you listen to the whole message today. Stay till the end so that you understand the whole context of what we're going to be talking about. So let me start by this. I recently, I recently saw an article online talking about how many millennials nowadays have recently taken pro-life positions. And as I was reading the article, the article gave three different reasons why these millennials were taking. Every, uh, more and more pro-life positions. And the first reason was that ultrasounds have become so incredible and have been, you know, technology has been advancing so fast that ultrasounds give mom a window into their womb to be able to see what, what goes on there. And I don't know how many of you are dads and moms. Let me raise your hand. Okay, a few of you guys. I, I don't know if you remember, but... When I had my son, Luca, seven years ago, uh, I remember when my wife first just got pregnant. The first time we went for a a sonogram, it was the heart sonogram. And I remember seeing the the little thing skip and seeing his heartbeat. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. There is literally life, something alive inside my wife's belly. It was just something crazy. As a matter of fact, um, people that are in, are in favor of abortion, they have been wanting to remove or, or not force a woman before they have an abortion to have a sonogram, because there's an attachment when a mom just hears that heartbeat, and say, "Man, there's something living inside of me. It's something crazy." So it gives the woman a window into the womb. The second reason this article, this article gave about how millennials are more and more taking more pro-life positions is because more and more women who have aborted are now talking about the horrors that follow as, from their decision to abort. You know, we live in the information age. Everything's available to you. You could just Google and, and, and somebody that's considering whether to do it or not, they could go and just hear about the stories. And more and more women are talking about all the things that come after they make the decision. And the third reason was given by a college student who said this. I'm quoting, my generation is missing so many people. For every three people my age, there is one who didn't come out of the womb because of an abortion. There are many college students like me who had a sibling who was aborted. There are people who are not part of our lives because they were never given the opportunity to live. Friends, brothers, even people we would have married. We mourn for them and were determined to fight for the right to life so that others would not share the same fate. compelling I am part of Generation X. How many of you guys were born between 1965 and 1985? 1965 and 1985. Okay, if you were born between those dates, you are part of Generation X. And Gen- Generation X was the generation where abortion was finally legalized. In 1973, in the case of Roe versus Wade. And it's the smallest generation in a long time. We are only 65 million people at our peak. Okay, 65. Generation X at its peak was 65 million. If you compare that to the previous generation, which was the baby boomers, they were 78.8 million. So 78.8, 65. And usually the normal thing that would happen is that generations will grow over time. People would grow over time and not descend. So a large portion of why you know Generation X is so small is because of the abortions. Now, thankfully, back in the 80s when abortion was legalized, we were having here, just in the United States, 1.5 million abortions every year. 1.5 million abortions every year. Now, thankfully, Uh, they're down to about 900,000. Still, 900,000 babies every year just in the United States of America being aborted. So we're doing a little bit better. Now the millennial generation, right now it's peaked up to 72. I think 2019 was 72.2 million, the size of their generation. So of course, this is a very controversial topic in today's culture. Reports say that one in every four women will have an abortion in the United States before the age of 45. One of every four. That's 25%. And although abortion rates have dropped, according to the media, and again, that's another topic, but I don't know how reliable they are nowadays, but we still have 900,000 babies being aborted every year. If you do the math, that comes out to one baby being aborted every 35 seconds. Every 35 seconds, a baby's aborted. Right now, it's 1257. That means that in 57 minutes, if you just round it off to 30 seconds, we're talking about 114 babies aborted since you just got to church and started worshiping God. Yeah, we were worshiping God, praising him, felt the presence of the Lord. There are babies being murdered, 114 of them, just in the United States, of America. Since the abortion was legalized in the Supreme Court in the famous 1973 case of Roe versus Wade, there have been a total since 1973 till now of 60 million babies. 60 million. That's like my entire generation. Generation X, 65 million people at its peak and we've had 60 million. Is that crazy? I remember God when you know, when when Cain was really upset at his brother and he was jealous because God liked his offering better than his. And Cain just killed and murdered his brother. And the Bible says that God says that the, the blood of Abel, who cried out to God, the blood of Abel. And I, I imagine, and I ask myself, I wonder what the blood of 60 million babies sounds like. And I ask myself, I mean this article about more millennials taking more of a pro-life stance is this something just based on emotion is this just an emotional thing or is this something greater beyond that and i want to share with you during a recent speaking engagement at grand canyon university there was a young man called matthew and he was very outspoken and passionate about his pro-life stance and there was a guy that was giving a conference about pro-choice and this guy just stood up and he was really bold and he called the attention of the person that was giving the meeting and when he opened the forum for questions this guy just really wanted to say something and he says I've noticed that you are very opinionated and you're very strong about your position why why are you pro-life tell me why you feel so strong about this and he says sure I'm going to give you five reasons and I just want to use the rest of my time that I have today. So you can pay attention to the five reasons that Matthew gave for his position. And this is the first one. He said, unborn babies are living human beings. The reason why I'm pro-life is number one, because unborn babies are living human beings. And there's this whole concept of personhood. He said the only reason abortion is accepted is because people have been deceived into believing that unborn babies are not really human. Pro-choice propaganda says that babies in the womb are just a clump of cells. They're not really human. They're just just a clump of cells that are forming. They don't feel. They're just not human. But studies confirm that unborn babies are already human beings when being conceived. If you open any textbook about embryology, and I looked up one specific, this one's called The Developing Human Clinically Oriented Embryology, and this was kids study this textbook in college. It says human development begins at fertilization, which marks the beginning of each of us as unique individuals. Dr. Micheline Matthews Roth, he's a professor at Harvard Medical School. He said, it is scientifically correct to say that an individual human life begins at conception. So when does human life begin, church? At conception. At conception. Several years ago, there was a subcommittee of the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, and they invited a bunch of experts in the field To give testimonies and try to determine when life begins. So a lot of people, well-known people, got together of different fields in science and whatnot. They were together for like a whole weekend and they finished off writing uh, a paper about their conclusions and what they decided as a whole. When they finished presenting their testimonies, the report said, among other things, physicians, biologists, and other scientists all agree that conception marks the beginning of a life of a human being. A being that is alive and is a member of the human species. There is overwhelming agreement on this point in countless medical, biological, and scientific writings. Interesting. So the kid continued, Matthew. I mean, he was he had his facts. And He also said that there was a prominent bioethicist named Scott Klusendorf who said that there are basically four major differences between an unborn baby and a baby that's been born. One of those differences is size. He said an unborn baby obviously is smaller than a baby that has already been born, but size does not determine if I am human or not. He said, if it would, I would be less human and have less rights than LeBron James. He also said the second thing that's different between an unborn baby and a baby that has, that has been born is their level of development. The level of development of an unborn, unborn baby is obviously less than that of an already born baby. But our level of development does not determine our humanity. If this were the case, a 12-year-old boy who would be, um, whose voice is changing because of puberty would not be considered human because he's not fully developed. The third reason is the environment. He said unborn babies are in their mother's womb. And some argue that because he hasn't or she hasn't come out of the womb, they aren't human. Scott went on to say, the environment we're in does not determine whether we're human or not. He said if that were the case, then astronauts in space would not be human because they are no longer in Earth. And last but not least, the fourth major difference between an unborn baby and one that has already been born is the degree of dependency. Unborn babies are more dependent than babies that have already been born. But being dependent does not determine whether you are human or not. If this were the case, a young child would not be human because they still depend on their parents. So Scott concluded that this is important because We are the same person today as when we were a fetus. From our inception until now, there has been no essential change to our nature. If we are intrinsically valuable now, we were intrinsically valuable when we were conceived, and therefore we deserve the same right to live in both stages. So right off the bat, the person that went to give the speech was really impressed by his answer, and he says, well, what is the second reason why you're a pro-life? And Matthew continued. He said, well, the second reason why I'm pro-life is because unborn babies are not subhuman. More and more, abortion advocates are having to admit that unborn babies are living human beings, but in order to justify abortion, they say that unborn babies are only subhuman, and therefore worth less than a woman's right to choose. So this act of demeaning a group's humanity is what we know as dehumanization, which is, essentially, which is, which is essential to justify injustice. And we have in the past, in the history of our, of our world, we've seen cases, extreme cases, of dehumanization. One of those was the Holocaust, when the Nazis and the Germans wanted to wipe out every single Jew, every Polak, every single person because they wanted to create this breed of people that were blonde and blue eyes and they wanted to just discard everybody else because they considered other people less of a human, subhuman. Dehumanizing Jews was wrong. They ended up killing six million Jews. It was wrong and it was a horrendous act back then and we all have studied about that and heard horrible stories about that. But dehumanizing babies is wrong and horrible today as well. Therefore, the second reason, said Matthew, why I am pro-life is because unborn babies are not subhuman. He continued to the third reason. He says, well, third reason why I'm pro-life is because Unborn babies are loved by God. He said, you see, sir, I am a Christian, and I believe what the Bible says, and the Bible is clear of God's love for us and how we are a person even before we came out of our mother's womb. And he says, really? The Bible says that? Where? And he continued to share. Genesis chapter one, verse 27, for example. It says, so God created human beings In his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So because we are God's creation, we all have what we call inherent value. We have value inside of us. This includes unborn babies because God shows his care for them in the Bible. The guy was, I guess he wasn't... (laughs) Into reading the Bible, and he says, Really, the Bible says that God cares for us even before we come out of our mother's womb. Where does it say that? He says, Well, Jeremiah in the Old Testament, chapter 1, verse 5, says this I knew you, said this is God telling Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as my prophet. To the nations. And you know what? I got another example. New Testament now. Galatians chapter 1 verse 15. It says, but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him. And he says, no, if you're surprised about these two verses and how God speaks about unborn babies, wait until you hear this one. Psalms chapter 139, verse 13 through 16. It says, you made me, this is the psalmist talking to God. He says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Now, as you hear this or as you read this in the Bible, like we just finished reading, how can someone say to God, this person that you designed, and that you created with love. And, and that you were involved even in every, every single fiber of their being does not deserve to live. So he continued proving his case. He says, well, the fourth reason why I am pro-life is because unborn babies are innocent and valuable regardless of how they were conceived. He added, that in any pro-life conversation, the first topic that comes up is what? Rape, right? Yeah, but what if a woman was raped and, and she, she has to now provide for a baby that she, she never wanted? What about rape? He said, rape is one of the worst crimes that a human being can ever commit against another. I think we all agree about that. But at the same time, a child conceived from rape is still innocent and is still valuable. We shouldn't punish the child for the crimes of the father. And Matthew said, a child can't be blamed for the manner of its conception any more than a toddler can't be blamed for an abusive parent. Every baby is made in the image of God and therefore continues to have inherent value and deserve. Protection. By this point, the person that went to give the speech at the university, he, he was really, he was really compelled by this young man's stance and his arguments. And he says, "Well, you said you had five reasons. What's what's the fifth reason?" He says, "Well, my fifth reason is this: unborn babies deser- deserve the benefit of the doubt." And he stayed thinking. Unborn babies deserve the benefit of the doubt. Well, what do you mean by that? And he said, I think the four arguments I've given are enough for any open-minded person to come to a pro-life position. That even if they aren't totally convinced, they should still be pro-life. The speaker looked at him and asked, well, why? To which Matthew answered, well, let me tell you a story. He said in the 1940s, a guy named Arnie Sky was driving on a rural highway in North Dakota with his little daughter, Jean, sitting next to him while they're driving at high speeds in this highway they suddenly saw something on the road in the distance it was a medium-sized cardboard box so Arnie eased off the gas pedal while he figured out what he was going to do he was tempted to dodge it and let someone else deal with it Part of him was motivated to run over the box at high speeds and hear the noise of the cardboard being crushed by the car. That would be cool, right? But thankfully, Ernie stopped and pulled his car to the side of the freeway. And as he got out of his car with his daughter, Jean, to walk over to the box, they saw something that they would never forget. Suddenly, the cardboard flaps of the box swung open, and a giggling little child, got out of the box and after the initial shock Arnie rescued the boy and returned them home now many years have passed that little girl Jean had grown up and she is now the grandmother of this student Matthew and Jean told him one day well my father once told me you never know what might be inside something like that I knew the box contained something that could be of value to somebody. I even knew that there was a possibility that there would probably be something alive inside of the box. She said, whenever you are unsure about things like that, it is always better to give the benefit of the doubt and play it safe. You might be wrong, but you could be saving someone's life. Now, When Gene and Arnie saw that box on the freeway, how sure do you think they were that there was a child inside the box? I ask you now. How sure do you think that there was a child inside that box? I bet it didn't even cross their mind. I bet it was probably like a one in a one million chance that there was in the middle of a highway, in the middle of Palmetto Expressway, Right? A a cardboard box and that there was a little boy inside. Crazy. Statistically, one chance in a million. But even with a minuscule possibility, considering that that they were dealing with the possibility of a human life, he decided to give him the benefit of the doubt and stop. And for the rest of his life, he thanked God that he did. So Matthew looked at the speaker and he said this. He said, So I I asked my friends who challenged me on abortion issues, in light of all the information from science, from scripture, and civil rights for every human being, how sure are you that this is not a human life worthy of full protection? Are you positive that this baby with its own DNA, its own blood type, its own brain waves, its own fingerprints, heartbeat, are you absolutely positive that this is not a living human being? Are you 50% convinced? If Ernie and Gene see a box in the road and they think there's a 50% chance that there's a child inside the box, do you think that they'd stop? Of course he will. If they thought that there was a 10% chance that there was a kid there, they would stop. Why? Because they're dealing with the potential of a human life. And given the precious value of human life, based on what we read in the scripture, based on you know, scientists, we should give the benefit of the doubt to the unborn and protect what the evidence shows us to be a living human being. So I don't know about you guys, but when I read this, I was like, wow, this young man knows where he's standing. He knows what he's fighting for, and not only does he know his position, he knows how to explain why. Because sometimes we're like, oh, I'm pro-life, oh, because I'm a Christian. No, but wait a second, there's reasons why we're pro-life. And I think that one of the things that as Christians we have to do is be vocal. Because sometimes we hear other people and we just stay shut. Oh, because I don't want a confrontation. Oh, it's just that I don't want to, God call me to peace. But sometimes, it's a time to fight. It's a time to put on the gloves and it's time to defend and fight for those who can't fight for themselves. There was a report recently on 987 women who had had an abortion in the past. And the report said that six out of ten of those aborted to please someone else. And two out of three said they knew in their hearts that they were making a mistake. You see, we also need to do something, especially the church does. We have to let women who have committed an abortion know that God offers forgiveness. That there is grace flowing from heaven to cover All kinds of sins, all kinds of mistakes from the past, even guilt from the past in the form of God's precious redemptive blood. And I heard a story recently about a pastor, his name is Lee Strobel from Woodlands Church, and he actually told two stories. He said that when he was growing up, his parents had four kids, one right after another, all four boys. Any of you guys have boys? More than one boys, I have one and it's enough. (laughs) Uh, Man, they're they're a handful. Raising kids is it's a job. It's a full time job, and they're a blessing. Don't get me wrong, they're a blessing. But you know it takes work. They don't just raise themselves. You gotta raise them. That's why you're a parent. So this guy says that they had four boys, one right after the other, and then the dad was like done with fatherhood. He raised them. started doing other things, and then unexpectedly, 15 years later, his wife gets pregnant again. And he was pregnant, she was pregnant with Lee Strobel, the pastor. And he says, I thank God that 65 years ago, that's how old he is, first of all, abortion was illegal, and second of all, I thank God that my parents knew Christ and didn't abort me, because otherwise I wouldn't be here. And then he went on to tell another story. He says, But when I was in college, you know, I was finding myself and there was a period of time that I became an atheist. I had some, I started trying to seek God on my own and I came to the conclusion that God didn't exist. And I remember during that time in college that a young lady came to me. She approached me and she said, Lee, you know what? Something has happened. I am pregnant and I don't know what to do. I have all these plans. I have to finish school. I have my dreams. And the dad is nowhere to be found. He just disappeared. And I come to you because you're my friend and you're older and I consider you wiser. What should I do? And Lee says he didn't even think about it. He was very cavalier in his way of thinking. He said, no, well, it's obviously that the baby is in the way of everything you want to do. So just get rid of it. The, lady went, the young lady went ahead and got her abortion and got rid of it. So the way life works, obviously... The word of God was sowed into this pastor's heart since he was very young, and he finally came back to the ways of the Lord, and well, now he's a pastor, but he says one of the things that was hard for him to let go of and to forgive himself was about telling this young lady to get an abortion and her going through with it, and he says that as much as he knew the Bible, and he knew how much God forgives, and he knew how much God forgets, and he, he says that he just... It was hard it was something that he carried and made him cry and said how could i've been so naive to give such a unwise um comment and he says that he decided to write a note He, he wanted to write a letter to the unborn baby and he he wrote a letter trying to get this off his chest and he says look i'm terribly sorry you don't know how sorry i am for what i did i didn't even think about it i don't know what i was thinking and and i made that comment and i feel terrible but i'm looking forward to the day that we see each other in heaven so that i can celebrate your life up there and he wrote that and he felt like like an e- like something eased off his shoulder he put those put the note away and Years later, he went to look for it and he couldn't find it. And he felt the Holy Spirit tell him, look, the reason why you can't find it is symbolic because I don't remember any of your sins. Because the minute that you repented of your sins, they were forgiven. And it takes me back to Isaiah chapter 43 verse 25 where it says, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. Isn't that amazing that the God that we serve is a God that when you genuinely come to him and ask for forgiveness and say, God, I messed up. I need a savior because without you, I'm nothing. Forgive me. We have a God that not only forgives us, but he blots out every sin and does not bring them to mind ever again. It's like it never happened. And in that moment, he felt that he was free. I'm going to ask you guys to... Stand on your feet as we finish up today because we have two action plans for today, two things. And the first thing I want to do is pray for those who have committed an abortion in the past so that the grace of God can cover you. And just as this pastor Lee felt God's freedom, you can feel God's freedom and God's forgiveness as well. And, and I also want to open this up for any sin because God doesn't categorize sin. He doesn't say, well, if you were a thief, uh, whoa, well, that's a category two sin. Uh, if you, pay abortion, whoa, category one. If you lied, I will let it slip. Category six, you know, let those slip. No. The Bible says that a lie, abortion, murder, sin is sin. There's no category. You either sin or you didn't. And maybe there's something that's keeping you from a relationship with God and, and or maybe the Holy Spirit is just speaking to your heart right now. And, and you feel that, you know, you've committed sins in the past. And, and that you want to just open your heart to God. And if that's the case, I want to pray with you. And I want to be able to lead you into finding forgiveness. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that when you open your heart to Jesus and you let him in, you don't only let him in. You let in all his promises. Promises of peace, of grace promises of success of blessing of of companionship you know a lot of people feel that they're doing life alone when you've been done wrong by friends, by people and sometimes we feel lonely even if we're surrounded by a lot of people loneliness has nothing to do with how many people surround you there's famous celebrities that have millions of followers on social media yet at night when they put their head on their pillows they feel lonely and you know God never intended for you to live life lonely. That's why he sent Jesus Christ. But you need to accept him. So I want to do this prayer, and I ask for JTP Church, all of you guys, if you guys can repeat this with me as we join all those that are doing it for the first time here and also those that are doing it for the first time watching us, watching this stream. So say really, really strongly, say, Lord Jesus, on this day, I open my heart to you. I pray that you forgive me of all my sins. And from this day on, that you will come to live inside of me and be my guide, be my inspiration. Thank you, Jesus, because today I am being forgiven of all my sins. Thanks to the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. I am ready to live a life that is guided by none other than you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Action plan number two. I want to challenge you to fight. Not with boxing gloves. But I want to challenge you, if you are a Christian, and you, you believe everything we just finished reading, how God values babies, and how... For, for you to be a voice for those that can't speak and we do it in many ways you could do it whenever you hear a conversation of your friends saying no no I'm pro-choice because of this you need to speak up and you need to know why you are pro-life and defend your position this is why I love Matthew's boldness to not only raise his voice but say why he's pro-life and the second thing I want to challenge you to do to go out and vote. Our vote is our voice. There's a lot of a whole new generation of people that right now have the opportunity to vote because you came of age. Sometimes we're like, oh, you know what? Uh, I hate politics, I hate this. You know what? Sometimes we criticize people that are in governmental positions. The Bible never says that we need to criticize them. The Bible says we need to pray for them. criticize and you never pray, you're doing it wrong. God calls us to pray for those that are in authority. They carry a much heavy burden than what you carry. Trust me. And they need the guidance of God. And we know that power, that there's power in prayer. So pray for them. But also now in times like these where it's important for you to show your vote and to be able to vote for not a political party or not a specific person, but for whoever Ever is in favor of God's principles and I think that one of the most important things is life the life of unborn children I don't want the United States of America, the America that my kids are going to grow up in and my grandkids the day of tomorrow if Jesus doesn't come soon I want it to be a place where God's blessing flows and not a place where sin is causing God's blessing to flow I want to do my part So I want to let you know very practically, take my gloves because I ain't going to be hitting anybody today. (laughs) On your way out in the lobby, we have voting guides so that you can see what each and every, uh, first of all, the presidential candidates, what they each believe. You got to do your research, right? I encourage you also go home, look up what they believe and, and then go to your to the word of god and see what the bible says and vote accordingly we also have uh voters guides not even not just for the presidential candidates but also for the amendments for the supreme court for for all those uh others that you're going to be voting for and man go out i think tomorrow's the start of early voting somebody told me that they were going to vote voting today but then somebody told me that early voting starts tomorrow so early voting starts tomorrow uh go out and vote whether it's early voting or when november 3rd comes around the corner but vote because sometimes we're so open and criticizing saying i can't believe this person and when you vote have revelation don't allow yourself to be manipulated by the media and by a lot of a lot of things today where there's a lot of money behind and people that aren't don't fear god amen go to your bible Do your research and let's lift up a generation of people that love God. I want America to be a place where my children can grow up healthy. And you know what? Sometimes it takes me having to put these on, figuratively speaking, right? And fight my fight and be victorious in Jesus. name.